Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. This morning we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. For the next two weeks we're going to be in the exact same text. We're going to use this and then kind of uh, take this text and bring some ideas out of it, just out of these two verses with some extra verses to, uh, to kind of help um, lend ideas to. But 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And just uh, this series is called Strike the Match. Strike the Match. And you'll see why in a few moments. I'd like for us to read the passage together, and then we will take it apart as we often do. Verse 3 says this, His divine power has given us everything. Everything. Everybody say that. Everything. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world that is caused by evil desires. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. And we said that word together. That we, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, not accepted it by some act of baptism, not accepted it by, by this, is the, this is the church where your family goes, or through, I've, been, I've always been a Christian. You know, none of those things. But if you have accepted Jesus Christ in a personal way, the Word says that you have everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need for life and godliness. This should pose a question in your mind right now, because if you are like me, you have not always felt like you've had everything you need for life and godliness. Is anyone else in that boat this morning? Has anyone wrestled with that idea and saying, okay, Lord, you're saying that I have everything I need. Then the, another question you should be asking is, why don't I always feel like it? Why don't I always feel like it? Why do I feel like there's tension in my life? Why do I feel like I'm missing something? There's times where I, I go through my, my Christian walk, and, and I'm not. this is not a matter of judgment, but I... I I go through and I'll be wrestling with something, uh, maybe a personal sin or something, you know, because even pastors have, uh, they're, they're being sanctified, right? Can I say amen to that? That we're all in the same boat? Y'all looked at me like, oh, I can't believe it. Yeah, it's true. We're all in the same boat. But there's, there's times in my life where I'll sit back and I'll be wrestling with something and then I'll look at somebody else who appears that they have it all together and I'll think to myself, even for a fleeting moment, man, I wish I had what they have. Why is it that I'm not experiencing that? A couple ideas to kind of connect the dots there. The reality is, your perception is not the reality. They're going through something too. And yet, uh, not that I want to replace, uh, I want to be someone else or, or to, you know, to, to have somebody else's life. I, I want my life, and I believe the word when it says that I have everything for life and godliness, then if we should have these things as the word says and it says this this word that we're going to talk about 
um, do a little bit better explaining his divine power. If I have that, then I shouldn't look at other people because they're in circumstances, they're in situations that I don't want to be in myself. And that God's work in me is unique to me. Y'all track with that so far. And yet, for us, we should not look upon somebody else's life and covet somebody else's life and think that they have it all together because the very thing that Satan will try and work into us to create division between us and them because if they've got it all together and I don't have it all together, that means that I'm messed up. And the trickle-down effect of that is if I don't acknowledge that I have error and sin in my life, the trickle-down effect is then the nasty turning of that sin is then we get angry at God. And then we say, okay, we look at passages like this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And we say that. And okay, that's a promise of God. And we would say, okay, if you've given that, and then if I'm not experiencing, one of the twisting and turning of that sin is, then I get angry with God because I think to myself, well, God's promised it. Then maybe, not God's, maybe God's not telling the truth. We'll talk about that in just a moment. The way that this, this message is going to kind of be outlined is I'm going to take one big idea and then I'm going to lend the next three ideas to the bigger idea. If, you wanna, if you're a note taker, outline maker, that kind of thing. I was trying to be creative there, but I ran out of rhyming words all at the same time. First thing I would like for us to kind of draw out, in verse 3, where it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness is we have to understand that that divine power comes from God's endless supply. This divine power is not, it's, it's this, it, it is an endless supply. That each and every one of us, we have this opportunity. It's not a limitation of God, it's a limitation of man. Can I get an amen to that? It's not a limitation of God, it's His endless supply. Interesting thing about, about this, uh, this word that I had mentioned just a moment ago, His divine power. This, this word power is actually a Greek word taken, and it's the word dynamis, which, is, which sounds like the word dynamite, right? Tell me, who created dynamite? JJ. We watched Good Times, didn't we? And what did he say? It was dynamite. Hey, no, it really wasn't JJ. I'm just kidding. But this word dynamis, it was actually created by a gentleman by the name of Alfred Nobel, as in the Nobel Peace Prize, a Swedish inventor. But he, he had, had this invention of, of dynamite, and he had termed that, he had, when he had made, everybody knows what dynamite is, right? Everybody grew up with Wile E. Coyote, and he was trying to, you know, blow up Roadrunner, and then, and then we watched Dukes of Hazzard, right? Because we did, am I the only one here? Right, so, all right, so we all wanted the General Lee, but they all blew things up with what? Dynamite, thank you, we're all tracking here. And then, and that's the reason why ever since the creation of dynamite and Alfred Nobel, that every little boy has craved to blow things up. It all comes from the same source. Man, I got two amens to that. That's powerful. Somebody hears me. So his divine power or this dynamite, the dynamis that, that Peter talks about here, there's an explosive nature to it. There's an unexplained nature to it. That, that there's... Even when Alfred Nobel made that, and he made dynamite literally to, it's been used in many different ways. And actually one of the ways um, that it's kind of turned, originally it was used um, in this country to, to blow up 
rocks and to remove sections of so we can put in roads on the westward expansion and all that. Talk a little bit more about that next week. But one of the, uh, the, the uses we have had of that has been for roads. Uh, one of the negative, aside, uh, negative sides to that is that that, was, that power was used in destructive ways. And as I kind of studied that out and I was kind of interested, that, that is really one of the ideas that kind of drove Alfred Nobel to the Nobel Peace Prize because he knew the destructive nature that comes through the creation of dynamite. But there's no negative side to what we're talking about here. This, this divine power from God's endless supply is here is, is the the little sublet to this and the thing I would like to draw out is that God invites us into a relationship through faith. This, this idea for us to, to have the divine power from God's endless supply, I, I want to lend three ideas this morning under that. The first one is God invites us into a relationship through Him. Faith is God's idea. Faith is not man's idea. I was reminded of this even yesterday. Yesterday I had the awesome opportunity to go up to North Georgia. Went up there and it was fantastic. We're walking around, walking on just a short stretch of the Appalachian Trail. It was incredible. The leaves are changing and it's beautiful. And you know what? When I go out into the woods, all I see and I experience, it may be different for you and it may be, it may be a completely different environment for you that you would sense this. But whenever I get out into the wilderness, into the wild, and I look at God's beautiful creation, I see that as a way as God inviting me into relationship with Him. That I would look at that and, I, and that, that He would just draw and say, there's got to be something more to this world than what I'm experiencing. Look at His beautiful creation. Look at the way that God created and just the beauty that you can see every day. I was reminded of that again last night when it, we got home after dark and I looked up at the sky and there were just hundreds of stars visible. And it was incredible. And every time I see those things, that's an invitation. You see, faith is God's idea. Faith was God's idea. 1 Corinthians says it like this. Verse is not on the screen. It says, We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. That if you're a Christian this morning, you have an embodiment of the Holy Spirit, and part of that embodiment is for, for us to understand that we have these things from Christ, that we may understand what God has freely given us. To understand what He has given us. There are times... That I, that I completely understand that faith is not a condition of myself. Because there's times that, that I, through my Christian walk, that I've doubted certain things. That I'll go through a traumatic life experience, something will happen to me, and I'll sit back and I'll ask God some questions. You know what? His shoulders are big enough for that. It is, it's never that I, didn't, that I didn't trust God, but yet sometimes I didn't trust the circumstance that I was in. And yet... Faith was God's idea because He doesn't want us to sit back and look at our circumstance and our situation and put our head down and feel sorry for ourselves. He wants us to more rely heavily upon Him and say, you know what, now's the time you need to trust me the most because faith was my idea. And if everything was always easy and everything always just got handed to you, then you wouldn't have to trust Him near as much as He wants us to. That's a hard pill to swallow and it's a lot easier for me to say it than for us to experience but I believe it to be true the word 
in this text. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us. Called. Kaleo is the Greek word there, and it literally means to call, invite, or summon. To call, invite, or summon. So God is calling, inviting, and summoning us to a relationship with Him. He's saying, hey, where are you right now? I want, to, I want to bring you back. If you're far from God this morning, if you're in this room and you're far from God, or you would hear this message throughout, throughout technology in, in years to come, I, I just have to let you know the only way that you can be right in your relationship, in your, in just within yourself, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. And I would say that, that he, is, he is drawing you and He's calling you and He's summoning you and He wants to, to awaken your heart to the need for you to come to Him through confession and repentance. Faith is His idea. But we have a part to play. When He calls, invites, or summons us, that we need to answer that call and go to Him. Illustrate it just a little bit differently. Part of this, this scripture, after it says, who called us by his own glory and goodness, because faith is God's idea, by his own glory and goodness. Illustrate it this way. When, when we lived in Illinois, there was a time that Austin, I believe, was in like first grade. And I remember distinctly that I was, I was with my father. So there were three generations of Zooks. Lord help us. The city was crazy. But there was three generations of Zooks. And I remember, I don't remember who it was distinctly. It was a friend of my father's. But as soon as they looked at us, they said, wow. Apparently you're all Zooks. Like, it's like, Genetically, we were structured because from coming from my father, we, were, we had some genetic structure, and I was probably going to be like my dad. I mean, like my dad has been here a few times, and one of the things that my dad and I, we, we look about the same. We're about the same height. We're both ripped. I mean, we're chiseled and stuff. You can't see it. Just kidding. But one of the things... We, I, there's a genetic structuring with my dad. I'm going to probably look like my dad. And, and in some ways, I got my personality from my dad. And then, and then also that means, see, I can handle that because I'm older. But then that also means that my son is probably going to be genetically engineered and structured in such a way that he's probably going to have some of the same characteristics of myself or my father. See, what I love about the end of verse 3, it talks about how God called us, and he said he did it by his own glory and goodness. You see, we are genetically structured because God called us by his own glory and goodness that now, because if you're, if you're a child of God, if you're a born-again Christian this morning, that means that you have, have because the way that we're made and because of the new creation that Christ is making in you, this amazing thing happens that now you are a representative of his glory in the world that we live in. That you are a representative. When you go to work and you do your work to the glory of God, you are in essence ushering in the glory of God in that place 
to be an example, to be a witness for those that are around you, that your boss wouldn't have to look over your shoulder and see what kind of work you're doing. But yet that your boss would look at you, if you're bringing the glory of God into your workplace, that, that your boss would be able to look at you and then everybody else, the new people that would come on to your work, that would be able to say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do the same thing that they're doing. Because when they go to work, they're full on at work. You see, we bring the glory of God with us. We not only, we will have the, 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 the purest of the glory of God when we get to heaven, but we, we experience the glory of God now. We bring the glory of God into our relationships. The way that, that you, you love your spouse or your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you, you bring the glory of God. We're supposed to live our life to the glory of God. We spent six or eight weeks talking about this idea in a series that we did called Vertical Church that we are the, the embodiment of the glory of God here in this life, even in this place. The way that we love each other, we should love each other to the glory of God. And I'm not talking about marital love, I'm just talking about friendship love. The way that we would hold each other accountable is not to the glory of ourselves, but to the glory of God, which is really lost art in the fellowship. And yet, we have the glory side of it. And then the word, at the end of verse 3, which the NIV, it terms the word goodness. Now, word, arete in the Greek, it can actually be uh, translated three different ways. It can be translated, the KJV, if you have the King James Version, the word that you have there is a word called virtue. We don't really use that word very much. I, I mean, it's, it's fine, it's the way it was translated out, and it's absolutely fine. It may make sense to you. The NIV says the word goodness. But I don't think that really draws out the true meaning of that word. The NASB actually uses the word excellence. It's talking about the moral excellence of God. The moral excellence of God. That God has called us. You see, if you think of goodness... What we, because we're programmed to do this, we, we live in the South, we're programmed to think this instinctively. You may have, have, have lived much of your life trying to break this, but in some way or another, we have this, 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 this morality, even in the South, that if we're good enough, we'll be good enough to be okay with God, which is deception, smoke and mirrors, not reality. So I think this word excellence not perfection, it's not talking, and what I'm, what I'm talking about, I'm drawing from, is moral excellence. That God has done this from His moral excellence. Interesting thing about this, after he, he invites us, He summons us into relationship through faith, not only do we get to bring the glory down into our relationships and our workplaces, but also now we're to live our life of moral excellence. Not moral perfection, we're not going to be, we're, we're being perfected, but we're not perfect. And we're not going to be perfect until we sit at the feet of Jesus, until we're gone from this world. But yet we're to live lives of moral excellence. Well, how can we do that? Because God has called in, us into relationship through His moral excellence. He has set the example, study the life of Jesus. Study the life of Paul after his transformation in the book of Acts. You think about this. And they, there, there, was a, there was a level of, of living and faith there that we should be compelled to as we study the Word of God. And yet, each and every one of us, we have an opportunity not just to experience moral excellence, but God calls us to moral excellence. 
Not that, that we would be, finally that we would be uh, to a level where we would be able to receive Jesus. But on the other side of that, because we've received Jesus, now we are to live morally excellent lives. See, it changes things. The motivation isn't to be in right relationship with God because that can't happen. But what the motivation is, because I'm in right relationship with God, now I want to live a morally excellent life. Changes things. Now, there, there are reasons... And you may, you may be tracking with every bit of this. And you may sit and say, okay, why is it that I'm not actually experiencing this divine power that Peter talks about in verse 3? Why, why am I not? I'm going to give you some reasons why you may not be experiencing this divine power. Or why you feel like you're in a spiritual slump. Because you know what? We get in spiritual slumps. Anyone ever been in a spiritual slump? It's like one of those things like I read the Word of God and I'm like I read and I pray and I meditate and I, and I come to church and I'm in small group and, and I do a Bible study. I do all these things and yet for some reason I just I feel like I'm just not experiencing God's best. Here may be some reasons why. It could be from wrong teaching. It could be from wrong teaching in situations just like this. To where people get up and they stand on platforms and you've heard it in the past and, and yet they have, they have wrongly taught you things. That we're to have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ by daily communing with Him. By daily communing with Him. It could be wrong teaching. Maybe you've never even been told or taught about just the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. How the Holy Spirit is to lead and guide you in relationships and, and how you spend your money and the way that you love your wife and the way that you raise your kids and the way that you're supposed to maintain work ethic. Maybe it's because you're an emotional decision maker. Maybe the reason why that you're not experiencing this divine power is because you're not giving God an opportunity. You just make emotional decisions and whatever whatever situation that you find yourself in where you have to make a tough call and you just you just you go with your on your your emotions and one day you're high and you feel good and everything's great and the next day you wake up and things don't go well and emotionally you're distraught and then you make decisions based on those things how in the world can you experience divine power when all you're doing is you're making decisions you're living life off your emotions how can you do that you can't effectively Maybe there's, there's, maybe you're just not even informed with biblical truth. Maybe you've even sat in places like this to where you've heard a bunch of messages and you haven't really personalized the message and you just haven't even, you haven't even been informed with biblical truth. And yet you come into places like this, you may come in and excited. And yet if you haven't had a walk with Christ throughout the day, the six days where you're not here, Then you come into this place and you come in spiritually dry. And you're just trying to fill that cup up. You're just trying to fill that cup up. When the reality is this, when we come into this place, we should be be expressing a full cup when we come into this place. That's what we're supposed to do. Maybe you have a poor prayer life. Maybe you don't even pray. 
You just go and you live your life. Maybe you pray prayers like this. Maybe you don't even have a, you don't praise God for the good things, but yet your prayer life is when you get in just a horrendous situation and you sit back and say, God, if you would please get me out of this situation, I will do this. God, if you, if I know that I've spent too much money and I know that, that I'm overdrawn and I know that if you don't do something, God, if you just show up today, I'll do this. You're putting your, your relationship, your prayer life, on a condition with God. And we're to have just a, a growing prayer life. And if I'm honest with you, this is one of the hardest disciplines that I've had to learn as a Christian. Because as a man, I was programmed, even from my, my early upbringing, that I can handle it myself. That I can take care of it. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you can't do it for yourself, no one's going to do it for you. That means you've got to do it. This is like even before the days of like Larry the Cable Guy and get her done, you know. That's like the mentality that I had. That's kind of how I, I grew up. That nobody's going to take care of it for you. You've got to take care of it yourself, which is a huge lie. Because you should, you should wake in the morning and say, Lord Jesus, be in my words today. Be in my thoughts today. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness today. Be something in me that I know I can't be in myself. I know that I'm broken. Mend me today, Lord Jesus. I know that I messed up today, Lord Jesus. I confess that I sinned. I don't want to do that again. In essence, I'm repenting of that sin, Lord Jesus. Please help me make that situation right. But you're not praying on a condition of and what God's going to give you. And I can't stand here today that I haven't prayed those exact prayers. Early in my Christian walk, before I even knew what a prayer life was like, that's what I did. I would get myself in a corner. I would outspend myself. I, I would do something wrong. I would offend my wife. I would do something like that. And I would say, Lord, if you only make this situation right, I will do... that I will do whatever. Lord, I'll, if you would just help me in this situation, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. Ooh, that's awesome. Good job. He's going to go to church. Woo! Church is not even going to exist without him. That's awesome. One of the reasons why you may not be experiencing this power is you have unconfessed sin. That you have this, this unconfessed sin that is hindering your relationship with God and God is knocking on your heart's door through the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you need to get this right. You need to get this right. You have sin in your life. I'm telling you what the sin is in your life. You're outspending yourself here. You're not being the husband and wife you're supposed to be. Why in the world are you letting your, your kids do whatever they want to do? I've put you in, in, in leadership in that home. Why are, you just, why are you not even active as a husband or wife? Why are you not engaged in, in a relationship with me and yet we're out of fellowship? fellowship with God and all of these things start to break down and God is knocking on our heart's door and saying remember that thing I told you about two weeks ago remember that thing I told you about two weeks ago and God's saying I haven't forgot about it and that I don't know what that is for you I've given a couple examples but I know life's more complicated than that but I know that God's work in a believer is strategic and purposeful God's work in a believer is strategic and purposeful. Some of us going right down the list. And maybe this is you. Maybe you've been in church a long time. And you have a consumer Christianity mindset. 
To where you come into church and you're like, oh, what's the preacher have for me today? Man, I hope they sing my, my favorite song. I better get my handshake by three different people or I'm not going back to that place. And that way when we come into this place, all of it is on condition of what you want. What, what can I get from today? And all we're saying is, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. This, this consumer mindset of, well, I'm just here because I'm going to get something. And Lord, if you don't have something for, something for me today, I'm not coming back next week. And yet, we, we have this twisted idea that we're here for us. Where we're here to, to usher in, into this place specifically, to usher into the Holy Spirit in this place, that we would just be a part of just a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, that this, the Lord would just explode the roof on this place, physically if He has to. That's why we're here. Which is why I said if you just come into this place, and I know some of us, and I'm not, I'm trying, not trying to make a broad generalization, I know many of us are broken. I know that, that there are things that you're struggling with, and then you come into this place, and I've had my days where I've been talked to just like y'all are today, and, and I come into this place and I'm like, Lord, just please give me something. Because I've got nothing on my own. I'm not talking about those. There are moments in time where, where we're looking for one thing. Amen to that church? But for the most of us, I just want to make sure that we don't just come into this place thinking, God, what, what, what do you have for me? This is about me. Better have my hands shaked. They better say, they, you know what? Those children's people, they, they better be loving my kids today. They better, they better, they better. God, you ought to, you ought to, you ought to or I'm not going to, going to, going to. That's a consumer Christian mindset. That's a consumer Christian mindset. I want to put something else in your head. And this was really revealed to me. This is a weird thing. This was revealed to me yesterday. One of the things that I think that Christians err in is this. One of the things that Christians err in, and it's even good things, if we, if we come into this place and we hear a message and then we spend Monday and we listen to another message and we go Tuesday and we dabble and listen to somebody else's message, you get the idea, right? And then Wednesday we listen to somebody else and Thursday and we have all these things and we're listening to all these different voices and we're hearing all these different visions from different pastors all over and we're just receiving, oh God, please give me this and ooh, that feels good and mm, I've never thought about that before. Woo, I didn't know the history and I didn't know the culture at the time. That's awesome. And yet, what we, what we do is, if all we do is soak in other people's messages, and I understand, I understand the need to, to, to be self-feeders, okay? I'm a pastor. I have to be a self-feeder. But many times as Christians, all we do, and, and, and the longer you're a Christian, and it feels right, and it seems right, and all we do is we gobble up Bible studies, and we, we just, we take in a Bible study, and ooh, I want to do Beth Moore's new Bible study, and ooh, I want to do this Bible study, and woo, David Jeremiah's got a new Bible study, and all these different things, and we just, we sit and soak all these in, and well, I'm listening to this message, well, I've got to listen to this message, have you heard this message? The reality is, when you listen to all these different voices, you can't embrace the vision of the place that God has called you into. Because you have divided hearts and you're listening to the vision of 14 other churches, which one do you choose? Which is another reason why that we may not be experiencing the divine power of God. Many people, they, and I realize we're, we're here, so it's kind of like preaching to the choir. We, don't, we, we had a little choir today, right? They did a great job. Kind of realized that I'm kind of preaching to the choir today. But one of the reasons why we may not be receiving the divine power of God also 
is people not attending worship services. And I'll call that the failure to appear in, in a spiritual sense, right? Not in a lawful sense. That's a whole other phone call that I get, you know, for counseling later. But a failure to appear at worship. We, we don't, one of the reasons why we're not able to experience the divine power of God is because we're not putting ourselves in, in situations to receive the divine power of God. And the whole failure to appear, even in a worship service like this, and yet, you may, you know what, this may be just something that maybe you were duped into coming today, which is cool, you're here. That's fine, I'm okay with that. Maybe you're promised lunch today, and you'll be like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy you lunch. That's cool too. Gospel flows in that direction. But I want you to know that you have to be in the company of, of the believers and, and the people of God to sense the divine power of God. That's the reason why you can't sit at home on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and say, you know what, I'm just going to listen to this message and I'm not going to be with God's people. I'm just going to listen to this message from David Jeremiah. I'm just going to listen to this message from Andy Stanley or Charles Stanley and I'm not going to go to church today and I'm just going to listen to these messages and that's fine. I'm just going to do my church at home. You won't be able to sense the divine power of God if you don't have the other elements that you get while you're in fellowship with other Christians. going to switch gears. I got a couple more, but y'all can't handle it. Last one to this idea. A few very, very practical helps to allow you to experience this divine power. So we talked about maybe some of the reasons why you're not, you're living with this divine power. And now I'm just going to give you some very practical things to help you to experience this divine power, which is what we all want. Right, church? I would say that the first thing that we need is a Matthew 6.33 mentality. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all other things will be given unto us. So we seek Him first. And, and with that, I would just say we, ha- we simply have to have a desire. Out of this Matthew 6.33 kind of principle mentality, we have to have a desire. Is that what you really want? Because I have to tell you, to live with the divine power of God, it's intimidating. God will put you in situations that you are clearly not comfortable. I'm in Dublin, Georgia, okay? I've never been to Dublin, Georgia, except when the Lord called me here. I like living here, but it was kind of intimidating because I didn't know any of you, and you're scary. Just kidding. Another thing to help us to experience this divine power not just desire. We, we have to have intentional discipleship. By the way, in discipleship is your responsibility, not just mine. My responsibility as your pastor and as your friend and as your counselor and as your, as your confidant and as your, 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 your fellow soldier in the trenches of life, my responsibility is to give a platform for you to be discipled. Your responsibility is to be discipled. If, and you know what? I, I see this from Christians all the time and they'll sit back and they'll wrestle with this and they say, you know what? I just don't feel like I'm, I'm being discipled. I, I, just don't feel like, I just don't feel like I'm in fellowship with other people. I, just, I don't know. I just don't feel like that I'm, I'm, I'm being discipled. I don't feel like that I'm, I, 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 I want to learn, but I'm not, I'm not learning like I would want to. And I would say the responsibility is yours. It's your responsibility. 
We provide a platform. We have a starting point environment going on Wednesdays. It's been going on for about six weeks. We've got another several weeks to go. That's a great platform for y'all to to learn things about the church and, and to kind of go there. That's an environment to start the process of discipleship. We have small groups that have been going here for years. I'm providing the platform. Rather, the church leadership is providing the platform for you to be discipled. For you to experience this divine power, you have to have a a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no better way to do that than in the accompaniment of other believers. But we have to take our own responsibility. Very practically, personalized Bible reading. Personalized Bible reading. Place yourself in the story. Read a passage. Read a passage. Ask the Lord specifically, what are you saying to me today? What does this verse mean? What are you trying to, to, what meaning are you trying to draw from this verse into my life today? Sometimes it's a simple verse. Sometimes it's a passage. But you personalize the Bible story. You're not going to be, you're not going to be challenged. You're not going to be able to just read David and Goliath and say, wow, God, you're awesome. That's awesome. I mean, that's incredible. Yet we should be able to look at that story and say, God, where am I today in this text? What am I, what, what are you trying to challenge me with today? What am, I, what am I resisting that I'm not believing in faith? What is it about David's life that is so compelling that yet I should, that, that I, I, I feel compelled in my life to do something with what I'm reading, but what do I do? Well, that's personalized Bible reading. That means you, you read the scripture and you say, Lord, You ask this specific question. What are you trying to teach me from this text today? Something I've had to do many times, just recalibrate your quiet life, your your, your quiet time with God in your life. Just to recalibrate. If we get in ruts, I I get in ruts. Now I have a little, I, I, I have a tendency to have some AD, AD, D, so that really doesn't help me a whole lot in this regard. But, but I'll get in a rut and I'll, and I'll go and I'll have a certain prayer time, whether at my desk, before everybody gets in and I, I'm, I'm the first one here. So I'll come in and I have my quiet time with the Lord and all that's awesome. But you know what? I'll go through times where I'll read and I'll say, you know what? Lord, I feel like I'm getting in a rut. I need to change things up. So then I'll switch gears and I'll have my quiet time somewhere else. Or I'll have my quiet time in a different setting or at a different time because I don't want my, my prayer time, my quiet time with God, my devotion time with God, my Bible reading time with God to just be something that I do. I want it to be something that I experience. Seems very practical. And many, many times that, that you've been told, probably in settings much like this, you get up in the morning, you pray. As soon as you get up in the morning, you know, you pray before the sun comes up, right? Who's heard that? That's what you do. You get your prayer closet and you built your little closet next to your garage and you put in a prayer closet and you go in there in the morning and then after a week of doing that, you're like, whatever your prayer closet is and however that works out for you and you go after a week and you're like, okay, something's not right about this. Well, maybe you need to switch gears a little bit, recalibrate that quiet time with God. It's not always complicated, Sometimes it's not the, the unconfessed sin. Sometimes it's, it's the most simple of things, just to recalibrate your quiet time with God. And I would say this is highly practical as well. 
people wrestle and they say, they look at this, okay, to experience this divine power. And another way of saying this is to know his will for your life. This divine power, it, it goes hand in hand with, with knowing his will for your life. And I realize that's a huge idea. And we talk about this from time to time because everybody has this question. What is God's will for my life? We, we ask this question. If you, if you want to know God's will for your life, you have to know his word. If you want to know God's will for your life, you have to know his word. He may speak in a setting like this, but I can tell you from my own personal walk with Christ, he speaks to me a lot more, more personally when I'm in, in an intimate environment with him, which is just he and I. And he'll speak into me because it removes all the distractions of life. It removes the distractions and all the baggage. It removes people. It removes what, who's sitting next to you or... Wow, they're not taking notes. They never take notes. Wake him up. Oh, he's really awake. No, nope, his eyes are open, but he's asleep. You know, all of these distractions that happen. If you want to know God's will, you have to know his word. I would say this. You're, you will never know his will for your life if you are not in his word. Never. It's, it's living and active. And it speaks into the depths of us. Not just, the, not just, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to do in this situation? But, Lord, how do I not make emotional decisions? How, how, do, I, how, do, how, do, I, how do I handle this situation, Lord? How, I, okay, this is what's going on, but, but what's behind it? To explain that still, small voice. A couple things in closing. Bank can come back up. Two things. Romans 5.1 talks about peace with God. Romans 5.1. It talks about peace with God. And I would say that even, even in a room the size with the amount of people that we have here this morning who may hear this message, there are people who are not at peace with God. That they're in hostility to God, that they have not surrendered their all to God, that yet they've come into this place and they've come in and listened to this message from whatever angle of life has brought you here. And you would, if we were to just be honest with one another, you would say, I am not at peace with God. And I would say the only way that you can be at peace with God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it, it's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not through your church service. It's not through a church title. It's not how much money you've given to the church. It's not a matter of, well, I put this person and I did this and and I did that and I've given to this missionary. The only way that you can be at peace with God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. But then there's a deeper truth. Philippians 4 says this. Verse, you know. And this talks about the peace of God. Philippians 4, 6 through seven says do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to god and the peace of god which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus so the difference is this it's not just the the peace with god but we can have the peace of god Isn't that what we want this morning? Isn't that what we really want? That we would be able to say, 
Lord, what is it that you're doing in me? Because many of us, we're living our life like this. We're trying to experience the divine power of God and we want that that dynamic moment and we want the power of God and we say, God, why is it just not happening with me? I just can't do it, God. What is it? What, what, what is going on here? Why am I so broken? Why am I not experiencing the divine power of God that you talk about? And God would say, because you're not connecting with me in a personal way. You're trying to do it on your own condition. You're trying to do it your way, which is never fulfilling. And God, in His richness, in His grace... And His mercy says this, If you would only try things my way, and amazing things happen. You want the power of God? You connect with the Source Himself and the divine power that we have through Christ Jesus. Let's stand and worship together. Let's praise Him for what we know to be true. Those of you who... you you may be sitting back and wrestling and say, you know what, Lord, I'm not at peace with you today. I would just ask while we're singing, if you need to have a quiet time of reflection before the Lord, just to empty yourself, say the altar is open, the altar is always open. But if you need to do business with God, you do it right at your seat. He doesn't care where you are. He just cares about your heart. Let's pour it all out to him right now.